right? I'm not in it to try to get 40, 400 pound squats. I'm utilizing the system to try to make a stronger athlete that can then go use it dynamically on the field. And that's really the end goal. So um, I'm gonna have some, you know, crazy numbers and some 500 pound squatters and things like that, but like everybody else does, but then being able to transfer that into our dynamic days uh, and to build up weak points is really where the system really applies and transfers over to the field. And welcome back to another episode of the Conjugate Chest. Before going into the episode, I want to thank our sponsors, starting with the DOYSC, the Department of Young Strength Coaches. This group is designed for young strength coaches wanting to go into the field of strength and conditioning, whether that's CSCS prep, GA, or internship opportunities, or even live discussions. They are a resource for young coaches to take advantage of. I will put the link to the Discord in the description of this episode. Also, Team Builder. Team Builder is the software for performance coaches around the world. Their powerhouse platform provides coaches with the elevated experience when it comes to program development, data tracking, and staying connected with athletes and clients. T-Bose is full of tools that coaches need, like multiple max training methods, 16-plus reports, evaluation testing, goal setting, to name a few. Coaches also have access to consultations with team builders and house sports scientists to help manage and analyze data. Head to teambuilder.com and sign up with the promo code CONJUGATE to receive a 30-day free trial as well as a 52-week football workout program. So please be sure to rate, like, subscribe, and even share this podcast with a fellow coach or a fellow in iron. I am your host, John Mark Raspberry, current strength coach over at Bolivar Central High School. And I have on today JT Rankin over at Boyd Buchanan High School in Eastern Tennessee, I believe. Chattanooga. So, yeah, let's say Southeast Tennessee. Gotcha, man. So, give the listeners a little background about yourself. I know we kind of chit chatted, had a little small talk uh, when we went to the Tennessee State Clinic, kind of um, just made a little small talk, whatever. Tell the people. Where are you from? What's your background? How do you get into strength and conditioning? All that fun, wonderful stuff. Yeah, so um, I guess really most people in, in the state of Tennessee know me as a coach's son. My dad's a, a really successful high school football coach in our state. So um, growing up in Murfreesboro, we then moved to Alcoa, which is just right outside of Knoxville. And that's kind of what I call home to me is, is East Tennessee and the Knoxville area, and uh, especially that that wonderful city of Alcoa. Um, but played high school ball there and then was blessed to get a uh, scholarship to go play at Tennessee Tech. Redshirted my first year, which gave me five years there. So during that that five-year window, I was able to get my bachelor's uh, and my master's out of the way. So I didn't necessarily have to uh, do a GA program somewhere to, to get that master's paid for. So that was a big blessing. Um, I've got a unique start in the field uh, just because right away after college, I got a job uh, and I got a job in a collegiate setting. So uh, most time you hear the horror stories in our uh, field of, hey, I had to go take 14 unpaid internships just to get my foot in the door for a GA position, right? And I was blessed basically to to have a foot in the door with a networking game uh, to where I was able to get a um, job right away at Austin P as an assistant strength and conditioning coach and really thought that I was going to be basically that that college guy who stayed on that track for 20, 30 years, rose the ranks try to get to a power five job one day, maybe be a head guy one day. And then at the tail end of my career, kind of go back down to a high school level to get closer to home. Um, and a funny thing happened after about a little over a year at Austin P a director job for this little private school in Nashville opened up uh, known as good pasture Christian school. And I was familiar with good pasture because we'd played them in the state championship games in high school when I was playing at Alcoa. So I knew it had a rich, um, history of success in athletics. And what happened with Good Pasture is they had kind of fallen on hard times with some of their athletic sports because they had moved from basically in the way the state of Tennessee was at the time, public schools and private schools played each other. And now there's much more of a clear split where the privates play the private leagues and the public playing the public league for the playoffs. Uh, well, during that crossover, they, they kind of started getting hammered by some schools when they made that full switch. And one thing they figured out was, hey, we're the only program that doesn't have a strength coach. So I was very lucky just to be in the area, in the networking setting, to hear about it, applied for it, got it. And then once I actually received the job, I kind of understood what was in my fingertips. It was this ability to take something that was nothing and build it up the exact way I wanted to. And that's extremely rare. And I think I was 24, 25 at the time, something like that. So we're talking like really, really young, unusual situation. I don't know if I was a great interviewer, if just 
being an assistant strength coach at a, at a college made a big difference, but they gave me the job and it was a wonderful three years, built it up from scratch, did all the fundraising to make it work, uh, worked with every single team on campus um, and everything was rocking and rolling and thought I'd be there for uh, quite a while. And then the good Lord blessed me and my wife with our first child. So during that, that time of her pregnancy, she said, Hey, I'd be really interested in moving back closer to Knoxville and uh, maybe looking to see what we could do to help help get our parents involved in raising this little guy. Uh, so just kind of started looking, getting on the job site, seeing what was available, knew it might want to be more of a high school type of route. Um, and what's funny is I found this job online. It might have been on Strength Scoop, um, just kind of casually passing by. And I was so dumb that I actually referenced it to a friend, not thinking that I would even take it. Uh, and then I had some some other mentors look at me and say, hey, dummy, you need to apply for this job. This is a really good job and, and you'll have a chance to build it up. So I listened to them, applied. Uh, from what I know, there were some really a good guys that went after this job and I was the one that landed it. Uh, and, and kind of the same scenario here, they they had fell in that in our state where the, the publics and the privates were splitting and, and there were some definite advantages to having a strength coach and a strength program that this program currently didn't have. Um, so it was a chance to kind of rinse and repeat what we had done at Good Pasture, just tailored a little bit different to our logistics here. So, and I'm I'm getting close to ending year two here. So 30 years old, I've been a director at two different private high school jobs. I'm in a extremely unique situation from, from most. Um, and a lot of that is just, to be honest with you, it's the networking part of this side of things. So I'm not smarter than a lot of other people. I do very basic stuff, but it works. And we try to keep the kids safe and uh, show them good, good numbers and things that directly apply to their fields. Man, JT, that's awesome, man. And uh, being from Tennessee myself, I mean, it's always great to see, you know, coaches, especially a little bit younger. I mean, you're 30 years old, but you took over a program when you were 25 years old, man. Like, it's, it's awesome seeing, like, younger coaches take on leadership roles and then, you know, becoming directors of strength and conditioning, especially the high school field right now. You know, right. in your situation at two different private schools, that's that's completely awesome, man. Um, let's kind of get into the actual episode here. So we go through segments here. Um, the first one's kind of like a tricks or tips um, segment. So this is where you're going to give us a trick or a tip that you discovered in your own coaching experience. This could be in the weight room, in Google Sheets, field, court, just something to help other coaches. Okay, so the first one's extremely practical because I'm like everybody else. Um, a, all the kids, after you spend five minutes at the start of the workout explaining what the workout is, they come up to you and ask you what to do next, right? So the same thing kept happening to me, but with, hey, coach, how much does this weigh on the bar? Or how do I get this to weigh this much on the bar? So I, <laughs> what's really dumb on my part is I did this at Good Pasture and then forgot to do it here at Boyd until about six or seven months in. Um, create some type of cheat sheet for your kids to look at to find what weights to actually put on the bar. So we're blessed here where we have team builder and 20 iPads and, you know, we have their maxes put into the iPads and it'll give them, hey, four sets of five at 75 percent and it'll automatically spit out what 75 percent is. But at that level, you know, they're still not thinking, you know, how do I figure out what 195 pounds on the bar is, which to us is so easy because we're, we're strength nerds and we're gym rats. And we've been here all the time. We just slap it on. We don't even try to calculate it. So that has been something, creating a cheat sheet that you can literally have at the rack. So I've got one at each of my 15 racks currently um, to where since we put that up, I've maybe got two people to ask me. And then I don't have to answer them because I can just point and say, hey, go to your cheat sheet. And then they never have to come ask me again. So it's made the workouts go a lot quicker. And you're not answering the same question 100 times a day. So um, second thing for me is is I heard this at um, the NSCA clinic maybe two winters ago. I think it was the one in, in San Antonio. I don't remember who the talk was. Um, it was some uh, former collegiate strength coach or professional strength coach too, but um, I'm in, again, I'm very blessed. I'm in a unique situation. It's not just me in the weight room. I've got three or four coaches with me at all times. We're very close to having a female in every class period that we do at all times and then having a lot of volume that comes through here. But over the course of that, what was different at my job here, that's, that is, uh, was unique even compared to Good Pasture um, was that at Good Pasture, I was all alone with 300 something athletes throughout the day here. I've, I've technically got the help of five or six people, but I wasn't utilizing them. So, and again, I'm sorry, I cannot remember the speaker's name, but I wrote this down. I circled it. Um, I put it in bold when I got into word when I got at home, but he said delegation equals sanity, right? 
I've got to trust the people that are on my staff. I've got to trust that I can coach them up so that they, they can then go run sessions on their own. Or if we split up the room into four or five different programs or routines, you know, I can't be the one that's micromanaging all of that, which took me a little while because I came from a school where I didn't micromanage, but I was the one that it all fell on. Right. There was there was no way that I could blame somebody else if something went wrong because it was only me. So I kind of got to a point where it was like, ah, some of these things aren't working quite as well as I wanted them to. So um, and, and I would not point the finger, but my my blame in my head of why maybe this doesn't work or whatever was because I wasn't being able to do it until I pointed it at me and said, OK, I've got to coach my coaches better if I want this thing to run the right way. Um, and then also, too, like if you have staff, then they can they can do their jobs. Right. You can coach them much and do their job. So um, for me, the second thing is, is very practical. Dele delegation is sanity. Right. Utilize the human resources that you have at your um, um in your possession. And a lot, a lot of guys, it's going to be like when it comes to your summer program, like don't run the summer program all on your own. You've got a football staff that has 10 or 11 people that want to help the football team coach those coaches up to come help you run this program, which was something I wasn't great at in the past. So uh, I've definitely had to take my own medicine when it comes to that for a while now, but yeah, definitely have a cheat sheet. And when you can delegate things, definitely try to delegate them out. Yeah, for sure, man. There's a couple of things to unpack there. One is the cheat sheet. And even uh, kind of going back, even before even giving them cheat sheet, giving them, uh, giving, telling athletes to read their workout cards correctly, like right. actually teaching them. And I, th I think I made a joke about it at uh, Justin Loudon's uh, presentation of, uh, you know, some things we want to accomplish this year. It's like, yeah, I want my kids to be able to read a workout card correctly. Right. Um, but like, what, what's a set and what's a rep? Oh my God. You don't know how many times I kid. And that's one thing, like, I think collegiate pro, even students of strength conditioning don't realize about the high school realm, even the simplest things an athlete will get wrong or the simplest things they kids will mess up all the time. Right. So they'll come up to you. It's like, okay, what's the set of reps? It's like, dude, it's, it's on the sheet. It's like, right. okay. And they'll go back to the sheet. They'll read it, whatever. And about two yeah. minutes later, and we spent five minutes talking about the sheet, right? Like it's just that's that's one of the things you got to deal with at this level, right? And I'm saying, and that, that's yeah, that's his own separate issue. But when you're talking about like giving them a cheat sheet, right? Kids are not um, as sharp as, the, as they. I think COVID did some numbers on some kids, um, but like you know, we tell them it's like we'll put 135 on the bar, and to us, you know, back our minds, you know, it's almost automatic, and to them, right. it's. It's almost it's, it's like another math class. Like, what's one thirty-five on the board? You know, um, I think that's such a great tip. And I know there's plenty full of people out there with resources that you know they can make into a, a sheet. You know, you post on the wall. You could probably put it on your TV if you got a TV in the weight room too. So, I mean, oh. like, so there's plenty full of ways that you can go around that there. And the other thing that you talked about was coaching your coaches, right? You know, um, I think that's one thing that, especially high school coaches, right? Not everything needs to follow or fall on you, right? You're the strength, you're the coordinator of, you know, the strength program, but sport coaches need to know what you're doing as well, right? right. And I mean, they spend enough time in athletics. They understand how the body should move. And, you know, they've had some experience with correct technique and stuff like that. You know, they they need to be involved as well. So let's kind of go on that track there, because that's a very interesting topic. How did you coach your coaches? Because that's that's one thing, like especially younger coaches like myself and a few others out there. You know, we may be on the staff where coaches are 50, 60 years old. You know, they've been in the game for 30 some odd years. You know, who's a 25 year old rolling in there telling them what to do? Right. So how did you do that? Well, the the first thing I did was make a mistake and I overcoached them. Right. I'll never forget that uh, when I was here, I got the job as uh, director of sport performance, but that also entitled as being head of the D uh, PE department and being a part of that job title, you had to have quarterly meetings at the end of every quarter. Um, and I treated that meeting as if I was a power five strength coach. And we went in the meeting at three 30 and I, I was oblivious at the time until I got out of the meeting and then I kicked myself in the head for it. We met for two hours, right? We went over the program. We went over everything. I was dialed into all the, the sciencey words that we all spit out and 
what it was good, what was bad, how we meet it. And I didn't realize till after the meeting that those guys were probably expecting to go home after 15 minutes. Right. Um, some of the things that I wanted to do here, um, I realized that if I was going to delegate some things, I probably necessarily wasn't going to be able to just because I had a different educational and experience level um, than what my coaches that I have at my disposal had. So I needed to be able to simplify my own programming to things that my coaches could grasp and understand um, so that they could then have the freedom to be able to lead it efficiently. So um, a lot of it was, I hate to use the word dumbing down, but it's not dumbing down, but it's definitely simplifying whatever system you're using, right? Conjugate, linear, um, TUL, tier system stuff. It doesn't matter, but being able to take all that stuff in your toolbox that you as the specialist know, and at our level, you know, we're not the college strength staff where everybody's there and dialed into strength and conditioning. Some of my guys are head sport coaches. Some of my guys are part-time strength and conditioning coaches. Sometimes you'll have an intern. Um, And then some of them are just PE coaches that kind of came along for the ride, like when they decided to hire this fancy director of sport performance title. So um, being able to to coach the coaches on a system that is simple enough to where they can implement it and have confidence in what they're implementing, A, when you're not in the room or if you're in the room, but there's a different program going on that you can trust them to comfortably run in it. So just having some common sense on what you're actually trying to implement um, at whatever level you're at. So um, that, that would kind of be the first thing. And then, A, you, you have to grow a relationship with your coaches, right? You have to be around them. Um, it can't be just a chain of command where I said, hey, go run this program and you teach them and they go do it. Like, they're going to have questions. You're going to mess up when you write a program that if you saw it, that you would know exactly what that means on paper or on Team Builder uh, and you would be able to change it on the fly. And they don't, right? Um, I know, you know, one mistake I made a couple of weeks ago was we were progressing our dynamic effort work and we were switching from chains to bands. And the way I had written it up, it kind of looked like you could use both. So the periods that that I wasn't in the weight room with them, they were utilizing both, right? Now, if it's me in there, I know exactly in our program where it's at, but my coaches did it. So that was on me that that I need to be able to fix that or um, coach the coaches up a little bit. It ended up working out because we were moving that way fast, right? And it was really cool to see because it was a lot more intense than I, I intended it to be for our kids that day, but they handled it well and they were still screaming up with some weight, um, which was which was really cool to see with, with more accommodating resistance that we had actually intended to use and that, that stuff was flying up. So a couple of weeks later, we get to our testing day and it kind of showed on our test to, test metrics too. So really cool stuff. Yeah, man, that's awesome. And that's something that I think a lot of younger coaches uh, kind of need to grasp there, right? You can't go in there, and I, I talked to Kylie Feldman about this, like you, you can't go in there guns blazing, right? The, right? You spend all the scientific knowledge, right? These coaches, and I know that a lot of sport coaches kind of get some flack, you know, from time to time because, like, you know, they don't understand what we do every single day. It's like, yeah, but they're smart as hell at you know, what they do, they understand, you know, air raid system and flex bone and all that stuff. Like, you know, especially if you talk about like a cover four, cover five, cover zero, stuff like that. Like they, these guys are masters of their own craft, just like we're kind of masters at our own crafts. So like, you know, they're not worried about, you know, conjugate or tier system or um, post activation potentiation. They're worried about their game, their livelihood on the field. So, uh, I mean, that's that's a great thing that I not, you know, not re- or dumbing down, but almost like regressing a little bit like you would an athlete. Like, you right. know, let's let's take it back a little bit. Here's what I'm talking about. Here's the here's the points I want to make. It's like, OK, cool. Roll. Go. Um, let's go ahead and get into the heavy training topic here. So obviously we kind of chat a little bit. You talked at the NHSSCA's Tennessee State Clinic about the conjugate method. And that's one thing I think a lot of people that one listening on this podcast was uh, the, the title was kind of misleading. It was, um, you know, the conjugate chats and, you know, I spent all of season one and now we're getting through halfway of season two and it's never been talked about. I mean, it's kind of <laughs> been mentioned, but it's never been talked about. So let's go ahead and talk about it. Um, I really liked your presentation. It really was very digestible where I kind of understood. It's like, okay, cause one thing about myself, I've, I've dabbled a little bit. I understand a little bit of conjugate. Um, I'm a more of a triphasic linear, per, you know, periodization kind of guy. That's kind of where I, sit, you know, kind of build my craft at. So, 
talking, having you talk at that national or that uh, state clinic really helped kind of solidify some things, some questions I had about the conjugate method. So go ahead and give us kind of an overlay of the conjugate method for anyone that doesn't really know that. Well, uh, basically, I'm I'm not a uh, guru on the subject of, of obviously like a Louis Simmons or a Dave Tate or a Matt Winning or et cetera, et cetera. But um, I was kind of thrown into it as my first basis of training without ever knowing that. You know, most people now, especially with where the field is at, it's like their kids go into some type of block zero. Right. And they build it up and then it develops off into something else. Um, my first experience in a weight room was conjugate. Now, before anybody thinks that they took a 12 year old in the weight room and put 400 pounds of bands and chains on a bar, that's not what it was. Cause that's not exactly what the system is. Um, and it gets misled for that. So essentially the system is this, there's three main methods. You got the maximal effort method. You're going to strain really hard. Okay. You've got the dynamic effort method. You're going to move submaximal weight really, really fast. And then you got repetition method. That's just the filler at the end. That's where we're, we're are doing our weak point training. And a lot of this gets associated back to Louie and everything that Westside did, but Westside really just popularized it. And it obviously came out of the old Soviet system uh, with Olympic weightlifting. But um, I'll take that same similar style format of the four day template that they'll utilize basically because that, that 72 hours that you essentially need to fully uh, recover after a, a well-done training session. Um, I even argue that for maybe not a elementary and middle school athlete, but once they get into high school and they can actually start loading, essentially, they need a couple days of a, of a good, heavy, medium to heavy loading day to mentally recover, physically, physically recover, and then let their nervous system recover so that they can actually do some dynamic work a few days later and have some pop to it. Um, I think one mistake that a lot of people make is they try to go max effort and then 48 hours later, they'll do dynamic effort work, um, almost like on a, a TUL or a three-day system. Um, and you can do that, but I don't, I don't need all the VBT in the, in the world attached to a barbell or a perch system or, or anything like that to tell me that when they move the bar two days later, it's not as fast as when they move it three days later. Or if we sprint on a free lap or a dasher two days after their heavy squat training versus three days after their heavy squat training, there's a huge difference in metrics there that show up. So um, I will run the four day template as much as I can a, because I'm in a place where we have five days a week with them. So I can utilize that. Um, but B uh, I just think it's a good solid template. We're going to get two lower body days a week for a developmental athlete and two upper body days a week for an upper body or for, or for a uh, developmental athlete. Um, and I know everybody's logistics are different, but after that, my kids go everywhere and they're in 1400 different AAU games and clubs and they go to a pitching coach and uh, I'm kind of in that sector of, of the world. So um, you got to be able to manage that. And I think it's easily managed when you do a system like that. Um, so, yeah, that, that's kind of a basic overlay. One day a week, we're going to lift really heavy with our lower body, uh, basically keep it under a five RM. If it's a person that is actually using this method, if I have a kid that's not ready for that, we're just doing old school linear periodization, but that way I can manage the whole room. So a lot of my guys are going to be doing some type of very basic linear periodization based day, but it's still quote their, their heavier training day for their lower body. And then I'm sorry, at least for that movement, maybe not for the repetition based stuff. Um, and then 72 hours, we're going to do a fast dynamic effort based stuff. So we're going to keep the weights between 30 and 60% of their actual one RM or their estimated one RM, uh, and move that weight as fast as we possibly can. Sometimes it's with accommodating resistance. Sometimes it's not, it just kind of depends on where we're at and how I'm setting up the training period. So, uh, and then the same thing for our upper body, we'll lift heavy once a week with our upper and the other day we're going to lift fast. And then for our accessories, um, I delve out a little bit differently, obviously, than what a power lifter, an Olympic lifter would would utilize the system. The repetition method is going to be where we come at the end of those max effort and dynamic effort sessions and, quote unquote, fill it all in with bodybuilding. But the bodybuilding for a power lifter is going to be designed to help my squat or my bench or my deadlift out. For the Olympic weightlifter, it's going to be for the clean and jerk and the snatch. For the high school kid, man, we're so weak everywhere that I just want to cover all my bases with that. So I'm going to fill in horizontal push and pulls uh, with the upper body. I'm going to fill in vertical push and pulls with the upper body. Uh, and then I'm going to do lower push and pulls in totality and do some unilateral training in there as well. And then we're obviously going to get our core work um, either at the end of the workout directly or uh, during our warm up, depending on what type of day and logistic I've got. So that's a very basic brief rundown of the system. Um, and again, when I say conjugate, like we're running that template, but I don't have all my kids 
maxing out week to week. That's just not where they're at. But I would say where we're at, we've got about 20%, maybe that run that type of system when they're in their off-season mode. So um, it's worked really, really well for us. And it's very easy to uh, manage their load at different times of the year. And the kids know what type of day it is. Like they know when they're coming in that day, okay, this is my heavy, strong, straining type of day with my upper and my lower. They know the other day of the week when they come in here, okay, I'm trying to move weight extremely fast. So the focus of the day is um, very easy for that kid to understand. Whereas sometimes if you run a total body type of system, it's just another workout. It's just another day of doing 70% of a clean. It's just another day of doing some accessory work. So it, it it is good in that way of directing a kid's mental space of what the actual goal is of that day. Yeah, for sure. And uh, let's kind of go into like the breakdown of like your dynamic effort and your max effort and repeated efforts. Like, Let's go into like the, the 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 programming side of things, right? So like when we take a look at max effort, right? So what is your prescribed system reps? Are you a percentage? Are you like a RPE? How do you kind of manage that through your system right now? So basically one mistake, I don't want to say it's a mistake, but one way I've improved how we utilize the system is, um, you know, if I'm an elite lifter, which none of our kids are, the great thing about Kanji is I can kind of bounce around from different um, lower body exercises that are all going to improve the same strength goal, right? I can go from single deadlift one week to a different squat variation the next week to a conventional pull to back to a front squat the next week, then to maybe a desertor squat. And then you got all those that you could apply uh, boxes and tempos and bands and chains. Um, and I ran that kind of system at Good Pasture with our guys. Um, one thing I figured out, though, is at this level, it runs a lot better if you'll simplify your pattern. So for us, we're going to be some type of squat pattern. We're going to use pulls for our accessory work uh, and more for our repetition based stuff. And we're not going to get super, super heavy with our, our deadlifts, which is very different than what a power lifter would use the system for. Um, but for me, I'm using those pulls to supplement our squat strength or our posterior strength. Um so we're basically going to rotate the types of squats that we're going to do week to week to week to week to week. And I will basically stay some type of back squat variation um, every two to three weeks. And then I'll float in something that's a little bit different, a little bit lighter loaded on them because it's a more awkward squat where it's more front squat based or safety squat based or a zercher based just to kind of I don't I hate to use the word deload, but definitely unload the system a little bit. Um so that could be week one. Uh, oh, let's talk about rep, reps real quick, too. And I don't think I did a great job at the state clinic explaining that. Um, for the developmental athlete, it could be anywhere between a one to five rep range max, right? Um, I found a sweet spot of two to three reps, almost like what a raw power lifter would use to just get a little bit more volume in. And you can run one RMs. But the problem with running one RMs is not that the kids can't do it and they can't be safe if they're mentally mature enough to handle that type of training week to week to week to week. Um, it's that kids don't do as good a job focusing on the repetition effort-based stuff at the end, which is where all the volume from conjugate comes into play. So I may have a kid just go do an unbelievable job straining on a two rep max, 70 or 80 pound chain loaded back squat and they hit a PR that day against their old two RM chain squat or, or whatever, for example. But then when they go do Nordics and RDLs and everything else we ask them to do, the effort's just halfway there if you're not directly managing that. So that was something that, um, again, with three or four coaches, that's a little bit easier in the room. When I'm at Good Pasture and I'm the only guy in the room, you can't manage that as well unless you're just on the whistle all the time, uh, which we decided not to be after their their main movements. Um, but by switching to more of a two, three, um, rep max system, they're just automatically getting double and triple the volume. Does that make sense? So, um, it's not necessarily a safety issue as much as it is a maturity level of the athlete to actually handle their, uh, accessory work and their supplemental work, uh, to a high level. So, and the kids that do that on top of that double and triple max effort work, uh, they get phenomenal results and they get that hypertrophy response that 95% of high school athletes need. Right. Um, Cause we're all too little. Right. I, I can, I can think of one kid right now that has enough muscle on his frame in our whole program. So, and he's a genetic outlier, which you don't see every, every, uh, every day. So um, as far as programming, what I like to do is almost 
uh, Matt Winning did a, did a presentation one time that I caught online and he laid it out really cool with a powerlifting system where he basically combined some linear components with some conjugate components leading into a meet day where um, I think he said it was like, okay, 12 weeks out, he did like his estimated 80% of what he was trying to hit for four reps. And then for two or three weeks, he did some crazy conjugate stuff. And then at about nine weeks out, he did 85% of what he thought. Couple weeks of conjugate, ninety. Couple weeks of conjugate, uh, taking an opener, and then whatever he did, he might have done a circumax phase or something like that. And then he went to the meet and he smashed it. But it was a way he could kind of linearly progress that and make sure he was staying on track with his conjugate stuff and not selecting exercises that got him too far out where he was getting strong in the wrong ways and not applying it to what his sport was was powerlifting. I'll kind of take a similar mindset where we may even do early in a training cycle more. 5RM based stuff. So I'm lucky enough to have different um, chains and bands and I've got some safety squat bars in the room. So we may go a three week, almost like a three week wave of chasing 5RMs with a barbell back squat with bands. The next week may be a 5RM with a differently loaded uh, chain tension. And then we may switch to a 5RM of their um, uh, safety squat bar, or we could do a front squat max. Okay. Then we'll go into three RMs for three weeks and then two RMs for three weeks by week nine or 10, whenever you decide to max, I know we test quarterly just cause it works well with the academic calendar. Um, they can go right into a heavy single. And then you have all that data saved from what they've given to you that when you run that same RM and uh, strength exercise the next time, now they have a metric to beat. Does that make sense? So if a kid hit, um, I've just got a great example from the uh, clinic kid hit 385 on his back squat with purple bands for a three rep max. That was his best set out of six sets. Okay. When we come back to that in the middle of April, he knows that he's trying to get 390 or more. Right. So I can go ahead and program him in by that fourth or fifth set to attempt 390. And if he's not feeling it that day, we'll back off. If he's feeling great that day, he may hit a 15 or 20 pound PR on top of that. And that gives him a lot of confidence because he knows eight or 12 weeks ago, he could only do 385, um, which is really great. If you've got a bunch of competitors in the room, they like to get after them. They may not like to lift, but they like to compete, uh, which a lot of good athletes are. Um, so that that's one big advantage to it. Um, but essentially, yeah, wait, waving slowly, my, my RM max is down, um, especially if I don't have a lot of variation in the room. Or again, I could just program two and three RMs for eight or nine weeks before I decide to test. I may take one week to unload before the test, get them a little bit freshened up or choose a exercise. They're not going to be able to load near as much weight on their system. And then we can test them out uh, and boom, their squat max goes up 40, 50, 60 pounds, which really doesn't mean a whole lot for an athlete. But when you take into effect that now that they can increase their dynamic effort day, because their maximal effort stuff went up and then we can start doing some really cool, I don't want to say sports specific, but things that transfer to the field a lot more, then that's where the importance of, of gaining strength for a high school kid comes into play. The higher we can get that maximal effort, that higher upper threshold of strength, then my dynamic effort can fall behind that and I can teach the body to produce at high rates of force, but I'm limited if I don't have that strength. So we're all, we're always chasing strength at this level because we're trying to increase that that dynamic effort portion. That is sports. Right, for sure. And that's something that I think like we're all chasing strength right now. That that's that's the that's kind of the name of our, our game right now as strength coaches, right? We're always chasing strength. Um, but you know, sport coaches and coaches that are not well versed in strength and conditioning, conjugate, whatever, you know, they they're not versed in that, you know, kind of field, you know, in our field, you know. They can slap on whatever to a kid, especially high school boys. You know, you know they're going through puberty. They're going through a very hormonal part yeah. of their life, right? You know, testosterone's through the roof. And all they're thinking about is girls and cars and like that's literally all they're thinking about. So like when they come in, you know, they can squat the bar for a hundred reps every single day. You test them for nine weeks, and their squats are going to go up, like. They right. can sit there and do bicep curls for like nine weeks and their bench press will go up. Like that's just in their genetically in the inside of their own bodies. That's going to happen. But like if you put a system in mind, what you're doing over there, over at, at Boy Buchanan, you know, you're setting up for, um, you know, your, your dynamic effort days and you're throwing on the bands. Because I think when we talked about those bands, his 385 squat turned into at the top, you know, the top resistance. 
And, and I actually messed up, I think, on the thing. I think I put Saturday. We actually found out later it was more like 80 pounds of band tension at the top. So that was three, what are we, 385? So 465? Uh, yeah, at the top end. So he, um, what did he PR? I think he PR'd 405 or 415 the other day, but his top end strength is way stronger than that. Well, guess what? In sports, where we mostly played at too, we're at a top end position on the field, almost everything we do. Now, I'm not one of those guys that likes to train in that top end position. I like full ranges of motion as much as possible and develop the whole system. But that's another great thing about just accommodating resistance for athletes is you know, we're going to lower that load and intensity at the bottom of all these different movements. Um, but at the top end to be super maximal and to get that type of transfer or training effect into our nervous system. And then the body starts responding to that and putting on tissue in those areas. And then they can apply that top end strength to the field. Those sprinters can apply that top end strength to sprinting and jumping and hurdling, uh, our basketball numbers for their verticals go through the roof. Um, you know, and you just see it time and time again for how long I've been running the system, which is not extremely long compared to a lot of people. But I know by utilizing it this way, we've gotten a lot of great results that are very specific to athletics. And that's where a lot of people that I think that run the system um, mess it up is they run they run the system in order to try to get numbers. Right. I'm not in it to try to get. 40 400 pound squats i'm utilizing the system to try to make a stronger athlete that can then go use it dynamically on the field and that's really the end goal so um i'm gonna have some you know crazy numbers and some 500 pound squatters and things like that but like everybody else does but then being able to transfer that into our dynamic days uh and to build up weak points is really where the system really applies and transfers over to the field and let's talk about that for just a brief moment because I was going to ask about the dynamic effort days. So kind of transition to that. Let's talk about the sets of reps, the percentages. You know, what do you utilize inside your dynamic effort days for athletic performance? I essentially, if it's anything barbell-based, I just copy and paste what Louie did off of Book of Methods. It's that simple. So uh, basically, it's going to be somewhere between nine to six sets of one to three reps. You know, his, his prescriptions for – Powerlifting at the time when when it was uh, written and I guess if it's been updated, uh, they always did deadlifts for singles, squats for doubles, um, and bench press for triples. Now that's powerlifting metrics, but I'll follow some of that for our barbell based work that we do in the weight room. So generally nine sets of three, fifty um, percent on the bar. Uh, we'll load everything in like a three week wave. So week one we'll go fifty percent for nine sets of three. Week two, we'll go 55%, and then week three, we'll work up to 60% before going back down in week four to um, 50% if we stay with the same exercise. The goal of the dynamic uh, day is by week three, we're moving 10% more weight at the same speed or if not even faster than what we were on week one. That's the whole goal. Um, what I will do for our guys, because they're so much more developmental, is I don't like any accommodating resistance the first three wait, uh, three weeks after getting back into a new training uh, cycle. They just had a max maybe a couple weeks ago. We went on break. We deloaded. We're getting back into training. Um, I don't like applying that extra accommodating resistance just yet. Um, a, I don't think they need it because they're still getting used to their new max, but also they just don't need the stimulus yet. And then when later I apply that stimulus in week four, so a simple one that I'll do is uh, just put a light band on the bar. We'll wave back down to 50% of the exact same exercise maybe, but I've got 50% on the bar and then roughly 15% of band tension at the top. So at the bottom, I'm still going to have 50% again. At the top, I'm technically 5% heavier than I was the week before. Uh, and then we'll just continue to wave that back back up. So week five-ish would be about 55% plus 15% tension. Week six would be um, 60% plus band tension. And then you can change, you can wave back down for week seven through nine and then change the type of tension again or change the chain loading. Uh, and it was actually funny. What we mentioned earlier in the podcast was where I messed up and I wanted our kids to switch to more of a um, chain-based accommodating resistance. We had done bands and I said, okay, let's just get, chains to change the stimulus up a little bit and i think it was a bench press day and um i'll stick with more of the traditional barbell lifts a lot of times just because i think kids still need practice at those lifts so i won't get as creative as i could with exercise selection but we can talk about that in a minute um but they they actually went on week seven 50 plus band tension plus another roughly uh percentage of i think it was like 15 percent of chains 
right? So by week three, we were like 90% at the top, technically, of their old maxes with 60% at the bottom, and they're moving it fast. And they're saying it's not heavy, right? So that's where a lot of that magic comes in, where it's not 90% at the bottom, uh, but it is 90% at the top, and they're still being able to load it. Now, that's that's getting outside of those parameters that you're usually going to get suggested when you do some different uh, or read some different literatures on the topic. But because it's really not 90% when they've been training that long because they've adapted to it at that point, or at least their own max. So maybe that number is closer to like 75, 80% at the top. But the fact is they're still moving their old 90% extremely fast maybe for a triple at the top end of that and again the top end is probably going to be more sport applicable anyway um so yeah another way you could do it though is you could just rotate the exercises out so um an easy one for upper body you could go uh three weeks of a plyometric push-up right and just try to get higher and higher off the ground for those three weeks that you run it um and then by week four you change to a different exercise maybe it's a uh, different type of med ball chest pass for three weeks. And then you might get into some barbell work. So there's a lot of different ways that you could run it and then vice versa for uh, your lower body stuff. It doesn't always have to be a speed pull or a back squat. It could be all different types of power production stuff with a med ball. Um, I would even argue that sprinting is underneath there, but I run our sprinting just a little bit different because I'll separate our lifting sessions from our speed and agility sessions, which we'll have to do after school. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of a brief rundown. It's just a three week wave. And by the end of each three week wave, we want to move the weight in week three at the same speed or faster as what we did in week one. And if you have VBT, you can physically measure it. If you don't, you can just be a great coach and look at it and see if the kids are moving the weight faster or not. Yeah, for sure, man. There's something that you kind of mentioned there talking about exercise selection, right? Conscience pre colorful in that aspect right you got plenty full of options that you can you can run inside your exercise selection so talk to us about that you know what are some things what are some staples that you've noticed that you've used in your own system and what are some things that you've noticed that other coaches are doing in their own system what are some things that you are seeing like similar between you know you're still running conjugate but you're looking at through different views right a staple for me at this level is I'm going to generally stay more around traditional barbell based movements on day with my kids, because again, I think they still need practice at the movements. I don't want to get a kid away from, you know, a bench is pretty simple. Let's use the bench as an example, benching only once a week for nine weeks. Does that make sense? Cause I still think there's some technical practice with a simple movement, like a bench. There's definitely technical practice with a squat and, and way more of that with a clean. Right. So if I'm going to utilize any of those movements into my type of programming um, with a developmental kid, a kid that doesn't just have 10,000 reps underneath their belt of a good clean movement pattern, I'll try to use an exercise and a variation of that exercise so that it's a fresh new stimulus every uh, three weeks um, as a part of my selection. So a lot of times it is going to be some type of really fast speed bench or some type of, uh, fast speed squat. So it could be a free weight squat. It could be a box squat. It could be a squat. Uh, you could go back to a front squat. You could do safety bar squats. You could do just different squats with bands and chains. Um, but again, I'm going to keep it within that pattern. I think really for athletes, you should probably get more outside of that pattern, especially if you're not developmental and make it more sports specific, but that's not my population. So, um, I will kind of hybridize, mix that thing. And you heard me talk a little bit at the clinic. I'm more and more into, um, moving those dynamic days into as many types of planes as possible without losing power output, without the kids slowing down by the end of the workout. So, um, and, and working along that, that force velocity curve a little bit. So, um, we, we may still do some of those barbell based dynamic movements, but around it, we're going to do a lot of different jumping patterns and sprinting patterns, um, some different clean movements and almost build up power endurance along with the power that comes from those dynamic days. Awesome, man. Awesome. So let's kind of go into the repeated effort. So you, you mentioned that these repeated efforts are for your weak points inside of uh athlete or inside a program whatever so um what are like what do you see inside like for repeated efforts like what are some of the weak points that you're seeing in athletes there you're like okay and i know it's highly individualized and it depends where you're at right one kid could be weak in this area and weak in another uh but talk to us a little bit more about like that repeated effort 
Yeah. So again, it's basically just, if you really wanted to dumb it down, it's our bodybuilding. It's our hypertrophy building. Um, if you have more advanced kid, this could maybe be the time, especially like with pictures, it could be your arm care series, a part of the workout. Um, but generally for me, this turns into bodybuilding for the high school kid. This is a time to put on hypertrophy in weak areas. Um, if it's early in the workout, we may make it a little bit heavier to have a little bit more of a strength transfer effect to that as well. And then later the workout is a little bit more of a pump sensation. So um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Um, you mentioned a little bit about weak points. The great thing about weak points with high school kids is everything's a weak point, right? So there is some individualization with some kids. Like I had a couple kids this week that uh, let's say on their squats. And these are a little bit more advanced kids where most of our uh, accessory work was um more posteriorly dominated this time around just because that's what most of my kids needed based on what we saw um so we kind of hammered a lot more pulls than we did with our lower pushes this this uh past quarter uh and that was great for 80 to 90 percent and those 10 percent of kids that it wasn't for it bit them in the butt because they were coming out of the hole in some of those squats and then it just boom shut down when it got to more of a, a a top portion of that so you know those kids that i trust and they're running the system over break, we're going to program for everybody. And then I'm going to go into team builder and tweak a little bit more things because I know exactly what's going to help them make that next jump. But most of our kids, you know, they all have the same weaknesses. Uh, everybody's core is, is weak. Uh, everybody's hamstrings are weak. Even their quads are weak, right? Uh, just being able to push loads, like with a sled push, if a kid gets better at that, they're going to be a better athlete. If a kid can pull more, they're going to be a better athlete. Upper body, it's the same thing. Every every athlete and every kid in high school needs more tissue around their shoulders for, for shoulder health, right? It, it's not that complicated. So for me, I'm not going to individually weak point program for 300 high school kids that are going to come through the weight room every day. I know that 80 to 90% of them need certain things and we're going to hit those certain things, just like every high school kid needs. So um, it, it's really rather, rather simple. And there's a very few instances where a more advanced kid, uh, we can, we can pick a few things apart if we trust them and say, Hey, we're going to change your program up just a little bit to do some, some individual weak points for you. But those are pretty far and few between, to be honest with you. Yeah. I like your comment about how like every kid is, uh, is a weak kid. Um, you know, especially they're developing and, you know, they're kind of coming into their own body. So like, yeah, they're going to be weak, but like, it's our jobs to progress them and, you know, give them the best opportunity possible to become strong and to have that longevity on the field, you know, for their sport. Um, I want to ask this and I forgot to ask it at the clinic. It was, um, the utilization of bands and chains. So why not? you know, slap on five, 10 pounds extra and throw a tempo on, you know, eccentrically, constantly, whatever, and see that struggle or that, that, um, that push or whatever, you know, that way, why did, why is it like a utilization of bands and chains? Well, a lot of it's just that, that aspect we can get with the top, the top portion of the lift too, right? Like being able to overload the system and you could do the same thing with tempos or triphasic. Like you could put bands and chains on the bar for triphasic. Right. Because your top end is going to be so much more different. We actually started if you want to go back to max effort days. I love when we come back from Christmas break to do a four week triphasic period on our max effort movement. Um, and some with our our uh, that may be how we change the stimulus for our repetition based stuff. So our push ups may go through a, a two week eccentric phase. Then they'll go through a two week isometric phase. Then they'll go into two weeks of regular concentric push ups. And the last two weeks will go into weighted push ups. That's how we can easily just kind of fluctuate and give a new stimulus to that horizontal push version for me where somebody else is just going to call up our push-up series. So, um, but from a maximal effort standpoint, I generally will just go right to triphasic training from Cal Beats and look up, refresh myself on the recommendations again. And that's how we'll start our, our training cycle is I will replace our day, which if I remember correctly, it still falls within that like five, I don't call it RM, but five rep and below of, of strain and intensity with, uh, God, I'm forgetting the, the sets and reps prescription right now. Um, but if running a two-week eccentric phase. So for a high school kid that's not a lifter, they're an athlete, they've, they've been out of the weight room for a couple of weeks, three or four weeks, we want to make sure their squat pattern is, is dialed in before we get into some of that heavy stuff too. I can still use that as another variation. I don't always have to use that. That could just be my heavy, heavy day 
on um, on the max effort day. But I found that it's been more than anything. A, it's great for tendon, tendons and ligament strength, especially down the cycle as kids are getting stronger. Those tendons and ligaments are still responding from that initial four-week uh, phase of the triphasic. And you're seeing those benefits later on in the training program. Um, I lost my train of thought a little bit there. But, yeah, I mean, you could – that's the great thing about conjugate is you can just kind of – smartly you can't just throw stuff at the wall but you can very methodically plug different concepts and ideas and exercises in and out to match up what you want your goals to be out of that that program for me i want all of our kids to be more rounded in different strength and speed and power metrics that's what i'm trying to build up i'm not trying to build up the best football player or the best track athlete or the best tennis player or the best swimmer right i'm trying to give them all these different metrics that are going to make them a overall more well-rounded better stronger athlete that when they go to their coach their coaches can teach them the technique and they have the engine now to utilize it better so um I hope that kind of sort of answers your question about using the accommodating resistance versus just doing more of a triphasic thing or just adding five pounds a week. Um, those are all different ways that you could do it. So, um, but the, the biggest advantage with accommodating resistance, again, it's just being able to unload at the bottom um, where kids are generally weaker. And when you get past that midpoint, you can super maximally load it at the top. Uh, where again, a lot of, a lot of sports are going to be played, especially from a lower body perspective to be sport specific for a lineman. If I can top load and, and get that, that super, um, top loaded stimulus at the top of a bench or a speed bench, that's exactly like a punch in football, right? So there's, there's different, there's different pros and cons of running it that way. Yeah. And I think conjugate training kind of gets this bad, almost reputation of just, well, we're just going to throw on bands and chains and, you know, get ready and get going. And we're just going to lift heavy. And like, no, like smartly, like you said, you know, you just can't throw things at the wall and expect to, you know, you can't throw paint in the wall, expect it to be Van Gogh. Right? right. So, I mean, like you got to smartly implement things in here. Right. You can, you can put triphasic in there. And I like that because like, you know, if you go through, let's just say a three second, you know, eccentric on a back squat, you know, that one second up on a concentric, it's going to be a strain. It's it's going to be, but I mean, you can't do that for like four sets of eight. You know, that's, that's going, that's, uh, that's pretty taxing on the athlete. You know, you may be able to do like, you know, six sets of two or five sets of three where they're, it's really, it's straining them and it's not, you know, it's not hurting them, but they do have a strain. You kind of mentioned it a little bit at the clinic too. You show us a video of, you know, one of your kids back squat. I think it was a kid with a 385 with the purple bands. I mean, you got to that quarter squat into almost the, you know, the locking out or the full extension at the top. But I mean, it was a strain. It wasn't hurtful, but it was a strain at the top. And that's all we're looking for. We're trying to get to that point where they get to that strain safely and then we shut it down. And then for, I guess this is a tip or trick of how to run it with what I do in my program. So, um, we keep kids kind of on the whistle with our first couple main movements. Um, so when we get to our, our folks so that it's a max effort day, generally everybody in the room is going to do six sets. That's just because it works for my class time room logistics right now and what I got to do uh, and coming from generally like a clean or a front squat with a clean to help warm them up for that, that um, max effort type of squat day. I'll give them six sets of triples or doubles to build into that and I'll program in their first two sets. So the last four are open and generally I'll be in the area to help guide them as that's happening where we can say, Hey, add 20 pounds or Hey, mm, that's probably it. You might have one more. Let's add five, but I want to watch it. And then we're going to shut it down. And then if they have two sets left just for the logistic of the classroom, we'll drop 30, 40 pounds and get more volume, more technical practice in with a lighter load. Does that make sense? So that's just kind of a way that we'll run it structurally here, but, um, you know, we're, we're not spending an hour maxing out. We're 10 to 15 minutes and we're, we're done. We're moving on. So, um, but it also, you know, it's so hard to get a kid to strain. I think sometimes on linear periodization, uh, especially with the main movement. And then when it comes to max day, they may have 30, 40 more pounds in the tank. If you care about what your maxes are, um, and they don't know how to strength through it. They have the strength for it, but they don't mentally have that capacity. Well, if I've been able to learn how to strain in eight different ways for eight weeks, the ninth week is going to be no different. I'm just showcasing my newfound strength on the metric that I've chosen to display it on. 
So uh, that's another reason that the max effort day in that, in that way is a good thing that teaches these kids how to do it. You just have to be very safe in how you do it. And that's one thing, like, and I like the idea that you brought up of, like, it's very hard to get a kid to strain, right? So, like, the RPE scale of 1 to 10, most athletes, most high school athletes don't really know what a 9 or a 10 really feels like. And under, like, a good conjugate system like you're running here, I mean, they are able to strain. You're able to see physically them straining and say, okay, that's your 10 or that's your 9, right? That That's, you know... All right, we're cutting it off here because that's your strength. That is your, if you want to talk RPE scale, that is your 10, right? So, like, if they're just busting through, you know, five sets of three of a back squat with, you know, with your kid with 385, he's got purple bands on, you know, was it 465 altogether at the top? Uh, and, you know, if he if he hits a triple, you know, just boom, boom, boom. It's like, no, you didn't strain. That was like an RP, you know, five or six. You know, it's like, let's, let's go ahead and bubble it up. Or, like you're saying, seeing that strain and you're like, okay, we're done here. You know, I'm, I'm going to stop you here because, you know, one, safety, obviously, you know, do no harm. But like two, you know, you're definitely getting your stimulus. You're you're getting your, you, you know what that strain feels like. Absolutely. Uh, let's go ahead and start kind of wrapping things up here. Um, I, love, I like doing this segment because, um, one, it shouts out people. So, Conjugate coach spotlight. So do you have anyone out there that's making an impact in the field of strength conditioning? Anyone that you want to shout out? Yeah, I'll give, well, okay. I always say this. I've always been the most impressed with two people's programs when I initially saw them. Um, and that's a Freddie Eves at battleground Academy. He's now the athletic director, but when I knew him in the role as strength coach, um, I got to come over and watch his guys one day. Uh, and then shortly after that, got to go see Brian Van Vliet over at Innsworth uh, and was just blown away by both their programs. Because I was from a school that, um, I mean, pretty much football is king, right? It's a one sport kind of town. Everything else is still important. And we want we want those people to be successful. But football is uh, above and beyond the big dog in town. And we want to see that, that kind of grow. To be able to see coming from that environment, uh, being a few years into college, and to see a school system albeit a private school system that had 13 to 15 different sports, all training with the same intensity and all getting it done basically between seven to five o'clock to be able to give these high school kids that high of quality of training, but be able to mass produce it to a large quantity of kids uh, has impacted me to this day. So anybody that's really wanting to see probably how it should be done or one of the best ways to, to do it, uh, is to get in touch with Freddie over at BGA, who has handed that off into the wonderful hands of Coach Tush. Uh, and then uh, my guy Van Vliet still rocking it over there at Innsworth as the director. So um, just the ability to, again, mass produce those kind of results um, with the high school kid is unbelievable. And I basically tried to copy and paste and put my little flair on it from how to run a program based off of what they've done. Um, I'll tell you this, basically anybody in Nashville now is great. And that's kind of the system where I came from before that. All those high school guys are great. Um, at Father Ryan, at Ezel, at BGA, at Good Pasture, uh, and it keeps getting better. I want to highlight some of the guys in, in my neck of the woods in Chattanooga, though. Um, Richard Henderson at Macaulay, unbelievable. Got to meet him in person this uh, year at the uh, NSCA clinic. Does an unbelievable uh, job with their kids over there and has a much uh, different logistic with having to do all their training before or after school um, and to have the kind of championship success that he's had with his teams over the year. Uh, Henry Woodard's down here over at East Hamilton, uh, former Olympic weightlifting guy, and he does an incredible job with their kids. Um, I don't know the next two near as much, but they're in our area at Chattanooga, and they absolutely dominate it. Uh, it's Tony Decker over at Chattanooga Christian. Um, I think he was at Coastal Carolina for like 17 years. Uh, or something wild, but he was a guy that stayed in the college ranks for a long time and then got to this level. Uh, and then Bryce Johnson at Baylor, he's doing a great job over there with all their sports and managing the, a, a big powerhouse like Baylor is. So I tell you what, man, when I got to the state clinic, it was really cool to see. Um, and we can kind of use the example of even down here in Chattanooga, Tony Decker outside of the state, uh, Paul Tush outside of the state, Kylie Feldman outside, outside of the state. Um, uh, Coach Loudon, Ezel Harding, 
outside of the state. That's just a handful of guys that are not coming from like the nearby state. They're coming from three, four states away to take these strength jobs at the high school level and doing a great thing with it. So I think that's a compliment to our state catching up in this field and really going out and searching for these guys that want these jobs and making this place uh, not only a competitive state for strength and conditioning, but just um, raising the bar for what it could be for every state. Now there's a lot, there's a lot of states doing it better than Tennessee. Um, there's a lot of states that aren't doing it as good as us. But I think with what I've seen lately at the high school level and, and what we're doing uh, is unbelievable. And I really think maybe within the next 10 years, every public school system will have a certified guy uh, running their athletes, whether it's through an entire school system or uh, just one singular school. But I'm, I'm in love with where I think the profession's going at the high school level. And you want to talk about like Tennessee, just in specific to our state here. I mean, like I, when I went over to visit Kylie Feldman over at Father Ryan back in, I believe it was October. It was my spring break. Um, I mean, like she was telling me, it's like, well, you know, they, they had replaced all the pictures on the inside of the weight room with, you know, their new updated photos, you know, um, of their athletes now. And I think an administrator told her and said, well, her, you know, our athletes are looking really good right now. You know, they're looking muscular, you know, they're looking better. And I think that's just a, you know, kind of a, um, what do you want to call it? Kind of like the, the frosting on the cake for Kylie. Because, like, she runs that awesome program at Father Ryan. And I got to see it firsthand. I get to, you know, be with her for a day and see, like, just how she does everything. And, you know, I, I think that's completely awesome what she's doing over there. And that her role over there, the impact she's made on those athletes over there is it's incredible, man. And, you know, I haven't had a chance to talk to Coach Tush or T- – I can't pronounce his last name for a lot for me. But um, I don't want to say Tush because – is that his last name? From what I understand, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I just want to make sure because I don't want to get a nasty DM. But anyways, um, you know, I you know I, I can't say anything about his program. But, you know, Fred Eves is someone that, um, you know, had a couple conversations with. Really great – person and, and and the fact of like he took time to kind of speak with me about some things going on like whatever but seeing you know you're there at an early age to really experience like his program and how he does things and see excellence at, at a very young age is actually you know pretty pretty awesome to see in the state of Tennessee you know and you know I think we are pushing the narrative forward especially in this field because like you know and we're talking about strength and conditioning wise Mostly, a lot of jobs are going into Texas. Yep. Some are going to Florida. Alabama's starting to get out there. But Tennessee, I think within last year, has made a giant push. Because, like, in West Tennessee, where I'm at, you know, there's um, high schools, private, and a couple of public schools are like, okay, we need to start looking into this. Yep. You know, and maybe in 10 years or two years, whatever, they, you know, finally pull the trigger. But, like, you know, it's starting to be a talk now in right. Tennessee. And I think that's, you know, I th- I do think in 10 years or 15, however long, you know, we will see more SNC guys and girls in the role in the high school realm, just like certified athletic trainers. Yeah, no, I mean, well, look look at the work that uh, Zach Fleming's doing up at Dobbins Bennett, right? That's a public system guy. And you give him another five or six athletes, you know, years with that kind of program. And they've already made huge strides in all of their athletic programs. So when other school systems start asking questions about where did all this success come from, it didn't all just come from the weight room, but you you have to have that portion in there. And then when that school system doesn't have it and the right people are in play to make those changes, that's when those changes are going to be made. And that's going to keep spreading and spreading and spreading out to all these different counties and cities, uh, not only across the state, but eventually it'll be, I think it'll be nationwide for any system that actually cares about high school athletics and it's already it's already starting to trickle in in our state in the public school system so uh and like you said texas killing it georgia alabama killing it florida killing it. i know there's a bunch of states up north that are doing it too uh more so on the public side and we've kind of got more on the private side here in tennessee but uh it, it will flip down the road for sure man and you know i can't wait to the day that we see every school get you know a strength coach and you know, it's not just looked at as, you know, look at the biggest guy in the weight, you know, in the in the football coaching staff and say, all right, you know, you're you're in the weight room. Like, you know, we'll have actually qualified people inside the weight room, whether that's, 
someone that comes from a conjugate background or someone that's, you know, very versed in maybe like, um, you know, the triphasic or whatever, you know, it's just leading to the better development of athletic performance at the high school realm in which they need to either sustain a lifetime of health, you know, past their playing days after their athlete, or if they want to go higher up into the college and hopefully the professional level. So. Absolutely. Well, man, I want to thank you again um, for being on the Conjugate Chats. Uh, Blaine was a big supporter of you and really pushed for you to be on. And, you know, after listening to you and getting to meet you, man, it, it's really uh, – it's been an honor for you, you to be on the Conjugate Chats here, man. I appreciate it, man. You are absolutely killing this thing, man. I'm excited to to see who else you have come on here, man. I'm, I don't belong uh, compared to any one of those guys for, for – uh, the type of speakers you've had on this this uh, podcast, but I'm excited I got to come on and share a little bit about really what's what's made us successful here in the weight room. And again, conjugate's just another way to skin a cat, man. Man, just work with your kids, love on your kids, um, give good, solid training and good mechanics, and you're going to have a lot of success. It doesn't matter what you do right now at this level. So conjugate's just the way I like to skin my cat as close to the skin as I can and maximize that performance. So, uh but again, man, it, it's been awesome to be on here. Yeah, man. Glad you're on here, uh, JT. And that's another episode of the Conjugate Chats. Please follow our social media platforms at Conjugate Chat uh, Podcast on Twitter and TikTok. Also follow JT on his social medias as well. And the name Strength, stay strong and have a day today.